Hey there, room one. Um, it is just a little bit after five o'clock and I was just getting off of a kind of a fun phone call. Um, we currently don't have anybody logged in. And um, so I will just talk a little bit. And then if we have anybody log in, um, we can go ahead and start coaching. Um, so something interesting came up <clears throat> today and I'm listening to this book called um, The Soul of Money. Let me find that. Let me find the title really quickly. Um, yeah, it's called The Soul of Money. I actually get the sense that this is not new. Um, I don't know when it came out, but anyway, one thing that um, is kind of being talked about in great detail right now is this idea around scarcity, not only in a money sense, but just in a general life sense. And this question was so interesting to me that I wanted to throw this out there for the group. It's like how much we frame our view of our lives from this lens of not enough. <clears throat> it could be not enough time. It could be not enough, uh, not enough staff, not enough help in the house, <clears throat> not enough sleep, not enough confidence, not enough, you know, fill in the blank. And it was just this thing that hit me like a Mack truck in my own life. I immediately could see how so much of the way I frame any given part of my day is anchored to lack rather than anchored to what I already have in place. And I think that this will be a really interesting, I don't know, self-coaching thing for me to work on myself, but I wanted to pose that to everybody to see if that might resonate with you too. And then what implications that has for our lives you know, for how we really experience our lives. And could we change the experience of our life simply by changing the reference point from the lack to a point of sufficiency? <clears throat> so um, we have somebody who joined. I will rename you. And then so far, you are the only one on. That's why I was talking to myself. Um and so if you have anything that you would like to be coached on, then please let me know. You can either raise your hand or put a question in the chat. <coughs> so I'm just getting over an upper respiratory illness, so I will be coughing, hopefully not too much, but um, yeah. So yeah, you're the only one on so far. So if there's anything you have on your mind, that would be great. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> day to day. <clears throat> you know, it's it, it's interesting the question of scarcity because I was thinking about it, but almost from like the opposite standpoint. Mm -hmm. I think how do I put this? I um I'm new to my career. So I just made my two year mark of being an attending. I finished fellowship before mm -hmm. that. So I have two years of being quote unquote on my own yeah. in a largely academic practice, but I have a great job. I, it is the best of all worlds. I have, right. uh, I work at two hospitals and it is wonderful because I am forever a grass is greener on the other side person. And I have a foot in each step of the, at each grass. So when yeah. one is bad, I go to the other and vice versa. So it is I have really found a situation that works for me from yeah. that standpoint. But what's happening now is that I've just always said yes to opportunities because I feel like they may not come around again. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure that I'm taking advantage of every opportunity because I don't know if they're going to come again. So I guess that's where my quote unquote scarcity is coming, yeah. but I'm running into this issue where I am seeing my future as 
pretty like getting very limited because I'm so clinically busy between both places, but Mm. I've taken on a lot of administrative roles and I think I'm getting to the point where I'm biting off more than I can chew, but I've never put in the time to think about what I actually want to do, which sounds so stupid, right? I mean, it sounds like a silly thing to say, I guess. I is It doesn't doesn't sound silly Mm -hmm. at all because this is very Mm -hmm. common. And Mm -hmm. so interesting to me that you, it sounds like you're experiencing that kind of almost like a, um, like a FOMO sort of thing. Like, well, if I don't do it, then I might not get to do it. Yes, exactly. Or they might never tap me again to ask me to do this again. If I say no now, they may never, I may never get this opportunity again. Ah, yeah. And it's really interesting. I'd be curious your thoughts on kind of what fuels that. Because many times what I notice is people will sign, they'll, they'll say yes to things for a different reason, actually, they'll say yes to things because they think that that's what it requires to be liked, or that's what it requires to be accepted or like highly thought of. But yours doesn't Mm -hmm. sound like that. Yours sounds like it's like, like the opportunities that are presented. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So you tell me. um, It's, you know, I, it's, again, this is a ridiculous analogy, so bear with me, but <laughs> what was that movie with Jim Carrey where he just said yes to everything? Yes, and man. And, like, life was like, yeah, yes, man. That's exactly mm-hmm. what it was. I feel like that has been my life since I started training, and I just started to say yes to everything years ago, yeah. which is so ridiculous because no is my favorite word, okay? I love <laughs> saying no. I just, I, for some reason at work, I can't seem to say it, and when I started to say yes to most things, I started to get these wonderful opportunities. And, um, I found that the sooner I put myself in difficult situations, the better trained I was and the more experienced I was and the more comfortable I ultimately felt. So that initial discomfort was just bad in the beginning, but it was expected because I was new. And the more I experienced that discomfort early on, the less I would experience it later. Um, But there's no critical thinking in, in saying yes to everything. And I guess I don't even know where to start. Like I, I feel like my career has been a series of happy accidents and I am again, very grateful. And I, I work really hard for those things. So I know that I've earned the, the quote unquote, good things that I have, mm-hmm. but like, I, Oh no, I think we lost you. I, I don't even <laughs> that I actually want to do because I have these, it, it feels like I have Oh, no, I think we. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah, keep talking. Hello. Let's see if we can. Yes. Can you hear me now? <laughs> yeah. Okay, perfect. I just feel like I've got these like three paths ahead of me and I need to pick one in which way to go. And I don't know how to even start critically thinking about it. Like there's a super, they're all academic paths, ones with Mm -hmm. the fellowship, ones with the medical students and ones with the residents. And they're all wonderful opportunities. And I love surgical education, but I don't, I don't even know, I don't know what to do. (laughs) Um, And I don't know how to even start thinking about it. Are they mutually exclusive then? They're not. And at the moment I've been sort of juggling all three but this is not sustainable. Got I it. see that already. That I can tell you. Got um, it. Um, yeah. This is so good. Um, okay. So on a practical level, there is yes. this book called Stop Physician Burnout, I believe. And mm-hmm. um, I may have posted this at one point in time. And I can look back to see if I did. But I took some pictures <clears throat> out of the book because it offers this chapter on figuring out your ideal practice description and mm-hmm. and it just has some really helpful questions that mm-hmm. kind of prompt you to 
think about things in a way that really help you prioritize what you might really, really want. So that can just be like a nice practical thing that will be super easy to get to you. That aside, there are a couple of other things that I think are really important to consider here. Um, Number one, kudos to you for recognizing that it's not sustainable for you and like have the wherewithal to be willing to do something about it. So that's like awesome because so many people for either don't realize it or they don't or are not willing to do anything about it and they just keep going on and then they are completely worn out and depleted and burned out and all of that. So the fact that you have the presence of mind to even ask yourself the question, like, could something be different? Could I let something go? Could I, you know, Mm -hmm. change this situation? I think it's just amazing. So good for you. Um, Thank you. (laughs) So then from there, then the next question I would have would be to like, just ask, well, what do you value the most? I think, um, I think what I'm starting to see is that what I thought I wanted is perhaps not the best idea at the place that I'm at because of like, you know, every place has politics and stuff like that and things that you probably want to avoid for your own quality of life and your own happiness and joy and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is possibly ruling out one of the paths I would say. Um, so that, that makes it a little bit easier, although it's hard to let, it's funny because I, that should be an easy one. They're like, okay, now you don't, now you only have to pick between two, but the problem is, is that that's what I always wanted. So it's hard to kind of let go of that. Um, and I don't, um, that said, I feel like of all the paths that I have, that one would be the easiest one reopened if I felt like I could visit that in the future, if the politics changed or if mm. something kind of eased up. So, so maybe that one's a little bit easier to kind of drop um, in that whole setting. Um, but I, you know, I, I had this like false conception that when I started working that I would just do the work that I needed to do and then I would be done. And, Mm -hmm. you know, someone be like, okay, you're working enough or here, do this next. And there's just a lot more flexibility than what I really accounted for. Or there's a lot more openings. There's a lot more need in the realm of things that I want to do. So, I mean, I'm not really kidding when I say that, like, I could be happy doing any of these things. And by way of that, it should be so easy for me to just say, well, I'll do any of them, but I, I, you're right. It's a FOMO thing. I don't want to have picked quote unquote the <laughs> wrong thing yeah. to, to, to specialize in or so, not specialize, but you know, to pick. No, I totally get it. So I think mm-hmm. maybe, uh, the other thing to consider is, is that you can always change your mind, right? Mm-hmm. Like things, people really move in and out of practices all the time. And we don't really get shown that or taught that necessarily. It's like almost the opposite. It's, it's like you imagine going through all this training and then you get your job and you stay at your job forever. And I don't think that that's really true. And I'm, I mean, I'm a good example. I've moved a few times and changed practices and that sort of thing. And I'm changing again. Um, Mm -hmm. but when you're in the process of facing the decision, your brain wants there to be a right and a wrong answer. Yeah. And you're a hundred percent right. It's giving me so much anxiety because I can't figure out what the right answer is. (laughs) Right. And I think what's really cool is the idea of no matter what you pick, it's the right answer. Because mm-hmm. you picked it. And as long as you like mm-hmm. your reasons for picking it, then that's all that really matters. And just understanding yeah. the impermanence of everything in life. Like you even mm-hmm. said, with the one where there's the politic issue, where you're like, well, mm-hmm. if things ever change there, then maybe that would be a path that would be open. And I could just do that at some time in the future, which is yeah. true, 
right? Like things are constantly changing. The only guarantee is that things will change. Um, yeah. So I do think it's kind of fascinating to look at a decision and just understand that no matter what you pick is going to be the right thing rather than being a right and a wrong. What if there are only a right or a right? Yeah, no, you're, you're right. I, I, and I guess I have, I have to, I, and it's, I think reflective in the career that I'm like shaped now Mm -hmm. having two places that I can work at because the grass is always green on the other side. And I think in this fork in the road, right. Where I have these three options, Mm -hmm. I wonder if I'm going to have that is the grass greener at option a or b when i pick c right yeah Um, so it almost feels like you know besides picking the specialty that i went into that feels like this is like the first decision i've actually had to make (laughs) since you know clinical fine that's no problem i can make clinical decisions till i'm blue in the face and i understand the pros and cons of it but for some reason this has been causing me so much anxiety because of this fear that i'm not going to have that you know, oh, well, I could just dabble in this or I can, you know, do this too at the same time because I'm seeing things how they are now and I'm juggling all three things and I, this, I cannot do. I I can do a lot of things, but, but all three is impossible. I, I, uh, it's not even a time management thing. It is just physically impossible. Um, yeah. I mean, that's really good information to have. Yeah. There are people who will hang on to that and be like, I've got to make this work. And you're Mm -hmm. like, no, okay. So we know that's off the table. We think maybe politic place is off the table. So now it's done Mm -hmm. down to two things. And again, I just think that like either way, it's going to be right. Yeah. A good decision. Um, Yeah. Right. (laughs) Correct is what I mean. And then there's this other there's this other coach. She's a actually a weight loss coach, but she's phenomenal. Her name's Corinne Crabtree. Mm-hmm. You can Google her. She mm-hmm. is absolutely phenomenal. She mm-hmm. talks about decision making in a different way. She says you all you always know in your gut what you want to do, but it's like we're unwilling to kind of like just accept that we know it. So yes. she recommends flipping a coin if you're down to two things you know, option A is heads and option B is tails and you flip the coin and your immediate reaction. Yeah. What you get like heads or tails is your, is gives you the answer to your gut instinct. So like, if you're like, well, I could really be good with A or B and Mm -hmm. then B pops up and your immediate gut reaction to that is, oh man, I wish it was A. Yeah, that's a a really good point. I uh, I actually quite like that. I think I've heard some of her stuff before, which is the reason I started exercising, which is a great thing too. So uh, I I like that. I I like that a lot. Because what we want to do, we end up like overthinking everything. So everything that happens after that immediate gut response everything beyond that is just drama and shit we're making up but that immediate thing that immediate reaction like the reflex is like the truth and so I I use that all the time I love that um makes it very simple but I will send um figure out a way to I don't know your name now because I changed it to Athena so don't (laughs) tell me your name but I need to figure out a way to send you these questions to ask about an ideal practice description. Cause I wonder if any of these prompts would help you as you're kind of trying to navigate, like, because it's really interesting. Some of the questions I did it for myself and some of the mm-hmm. things that came up were like parking. I mean, yes, really granular things that helped me understand, okay, like, what do I value here? I actually yeah, really value if the parking is easy. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> it's <so> crazy. <laughs> it matters. It all matters. No, I would love that. I, it would be so, so helpful. Good. Um, well, sounds like you have very exciting times ahead and good luck with everything. I think you're going to do great no matter what. <clears throat> because so much. Yeah. Again, I think the most important thing to circle back to is just knowing like a person who knows, who, who knows with 
gusto. Like this isn't sustainable. I know this is not what I want. And so I want to go out and create these things for me, like the emotional intelligence and flexibility that that requires. I know with certainty that no matter what you end up choosing, everything is going to be okay because you'll be able to handle it. You'll have your own back. And then if it ends up being not what you expected it, you'll know how to navigate that. I appreciate it. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think that I have, I, I've for some reason been seeing this as such a negative thing that I have to pick, but it's actually quite a great thing that I, I A, get to pick, but B, that I, that I like all of these options so much that I have all these things to pick from. So I, I, I think the reframing itself will probably help a lot with the anxiety and probably lessen the anxiety enough so that I can make a decision. I don't know if that makes sense. Sometimes there's so much anxiety building up to making a decision that it makes the decision that much more impossible. So I think, yeah, I think that's going to be probably one of the biggest, like, I mean, I even chewed my nails down and everything. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah, exactly. So no, thank thank you so much. I I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for volunteering. Okie dokie. I'm going to disable talking. And then now I'm going to keep renaming folks while we wait for another volunteer. Um, <coughs> pardon the coughing. Do we have any other volunteers? We have a big list. Got some folks on today. Um, anybody else? Rainbow Sprinkles, Bob. Anybody else have anything else to talk about? Okay, so I'll circle back to what I was talking about. I was talking to myself when we started because nobody was logged on. And then Athena was the first person logged on. And um, I'm listening to this book that's really good right now called the soul of money in the, I'm in this part of the book that is about scarcity and it, ultimately it's about scarcity of money. But the point is, is this author s- suggests that scarcity itself is built in like into us. It's, it's indoctrinated into us in our culture and the way we think about everything. And she gave examples like time scarcity, um, scarcity of other resources and the examples I were giving were like, you know, personnel at the hospital, um, equipment at the hospital, uh, you know, having enough resources in your home to keep the house clean or that sort of thing. It's not necessarily just money, but it's like so much of our lives is framed around what we don't have. And so an interesting thing is, is to see, just observe yourself throughout the day and just see how much, how much of your thought is coming from this idea of what you don't have. Like a lot of times it starts first thing in the morning when you wake up and you're like, gosh, I didn't get enough sleep. I'm still tired. And then it's like, oh, I won't have enough time to get X, Y, and Z done, or there won't be enough blah, 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 or there's not enough of this, or I'm not good enough. I'm not going to be able to do that because I don't have this. Um, and it just seems so natural and true, but really it's not because we live in an abundant world. And, um, I don't know, it's just going to be kind of interesting to start to look at that in my own life. Okay, guys, anybody else want to have some coaching? (coughs) Do we have any volunteers? You can just raise your hand or go into the chat. And then if you don't have anything that you want to be coached on, is there anything people just want to kind of discuss? Just have a nice, you could even have a round table or talk about anything. Okay, here we go. Hi. 
Is it working? Can you unmute yourself? There you go. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. I, my childcare situation may change, so I may need to keep it kind of vague and brief in case someone else wants to jump on. No problem. Um, and I might kind of cut in and out because my service here is kind of terrible. But um, I had a situation that I was hoping to bring up if there was time of kind of imposter syndrome. I don't know if there's, you know, maybe keeping it vague and talking about that. Um, yeah. I was invited to a conference that's a really cool opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm like by far the lowest man on the totem pole who was invited, and I keep having that like mistake. And, and you know, I guess maybe my game plan for when I'm there and I start to have all those feelings and go into shy mode, maybe to keep it. I don't know working I don't know <laughs> I don't know where yeah going, but um I guess being in a situation that's kind of you know high stakes and I'm very much an introvert and how to I don't know just handle that maybe <laughs> sorry I'm coughing so um so can you just help me understand the difference between like imposter syndrome, which I think we all know what that is and like legit being an introvert who just really doesn't enjoy kind of the, the social demands of being at a conference. Can you tell me Um, what the difference is for you? Good question. I don't know. Maybe I, uh, maybe it's a little both of like, am I deserving enough to have been invited to this conference with a very small group, including like this yeah so I think there's the imposter from that standpoint but mm-hmm. yeah maybe more of it is just my, my yeah um so I think it's important to know the difference for you in like what you're making things mean and um I know for introverts it can be quite um draining to participate and <clears throat> um, you know, kind of be at events like that. And so also then to have imposter syndrome at the same time to then be like concerned about that, or even in some way, potentially like beating yourself up about that, that will be even more draining. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe, maybe I don't exactly understand the question that you're asking. Are you asking, how to enjoy the conference? Um, I don't know. I guess maybe <laughs> how to remind myself that I was invited. So even if it was a mistake, I'm there and make the most of it. I don't know. Yeah, um, but do you really think it was a mistake? I, mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's like way more advanced than stuff that I've done. And I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm going, so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is it something you're excited to learn about? I don't know. Maybe. I'm... Let me just, I want to understand this a little better because my verbal oh, sorry, diary got me off track a little bit. So it sounds like the thought is they made a mistake inviting me. No, I think that actually, maybe that. Sorry, can you hear me? I'm kind of cutting in yeah. and out. What did you say? Um, no, I was just trying to say that maybe you kind of already got to the point of like giving myself grace of being an introvert and do the things that I know I need to do. Or I don't know. I just feel like it's going to be so hard to do the alone time stuff that I need. But um, yeah. I don't oh, know. Maybe, like- maybe. Yeah, I think you're kind of like getting at it without me realizing that um, I think being mindful that when I start getting that imposter or whatever to give myself maybe a little bit of the positive feedback that I need or like the alone time or like being mindful of giving myself that yeah. so that it doesn't kind of pile up too much. I think you just my hit- kind of being aware. 
Yeah. I just think you struck like wisdom gold within yourself right here because having imposter syndrome is very natural. We all do this because we all we're tribal. We want to be accepted by a group. And so we're, we're constantly evaluating ourselves to see, do we measure up? Do we belong in this group? We want to be in this group. So it's like a biological drive that we have. So having the imposter syndrome is not that big a deal. But if you're also then in a situation where your nervous system is very activated because you're an introvert and it requires something physical of you to be present and engaging and all of that stuff, then anything that challenges you like imposter syndrome or anything, any challenge that comes in is going to be harder to handle because your nervous system's activated. So I think what the wisdom you just came up with was, yeah, okay, well, it's not such a huge deal to have imposter syndrome temporarily, but if I notice these things coming up and I notice that my nervous system needs the care that I know it needs, then I'm going to go ahead and give myself that space to be alone or go for a run or do X, Y, or Z so that your physical body is well cared for. And then you'll be able to manage whatever comes up. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Took my big, big complex thing and turned it into (laughs) kind of simple. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's really, no, I think that's a really good point though. Yeah. The self care and kind of being aware of it. And yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate you bringing this to the group because I think it's important to understand that, you know, we face these things all the time. It's totally a normal part of being a human being and nothing has to be a problem as long as we don't let it be a problem. So if imposter syndrome is something that is so heavy, heavy of a burden on somebody that it's like impairing their ability to go or it's impairing their ability to be a surgeon or do whatever it is they want to do, then that's something to really look at. But just having imposter syndrome kind of come up here and there, I think is totally natural. It shows that we're doing, we're, we're moving forward. We're doing hard things. We're not staying in the cave. We're like getting out there. So of course we're going to be like, gosh, do I really belong there? Um, but importantly, we are one human system of a brain and a body. And so just the more of us that are recognizing when our nervous systems don't feel regulated, I think is such an important and very powerful tool to practice giving yourself what you need in those times. And so then when these things come up where you're having thoughts like, gosh, I think they made a mistake by inviting me, then you're able to deal with that with so much more, um, intention and honesty rather than just let it spin out of control. So thank you, LB, for telling us about your conference. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to add to that before we move on to the next person? I don't think so. If there's anyone. Excuse me. Thank Thank you. you. I appreciate you raising your hand. Okay. Oh, that was good. We got two good ones. So um, Adam Grant says something really cool about imposter syndrome that I will Google when we're done and post it to the group because imposter syndrome is something I feel like we all face. And I think it's actually not a bad thing if, if we are putting ourselves out there and participating in things and living our life, most certainly people are going to have some questions about their own um, abilities and their own fitness and all that sort of stuff. I think it's completely natural. And then the problem becomes when we believe that we don't belong somewhere or we believe that we're not good enough to do something. And that's when we really get limited. So I think just having those things pop up is not a big deal. It's believing in it that ends up becoming the um, impediment. Um, Wow, that's like two fast coaching sessions. Let's go to the next person. Is anybody else? (laughs) Somebody's named Getting Cold. I love that. I would love to know 
where they are because I live in Southern California where it is so hot right now. We're used to it being very mild all the time. And I believe that global warming is actually a thing because it feels like San Clemente is on fire. Um, so I'm sorry that you're getting cold, getting cold. I kind of wish we were getting cold. Um, does anybody else have anything that's popped up after the first two conversations? So something came up in one of my private, oh, yay, getting cold is going to talk. Then we don't have to hear my voice talk about stuff. There we go. Hi. Hello. How are you getting I'm cold? Good. <laughs> it's actually not that cold. I did have a sleeveless dress on today, so. <laughs> you did what today? I did have a sleeveless dress on, so I don't think it's really oh. that, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know where you live, and I know it will get real cold <laughs> in yeah, short right. order. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So here's a situation I had, um, the weekend, like the Friday, um, not last Friday, but the Friday before that I, um, was getting ready to finish all, I finished all my notes and I was emptying my, um, in basket out. And uh, like, there was a phone call note that I hadn't got to, and it was like the last thing. And then I realized it was one of my team members who wrote a note that a doctor wanted to talk to me at another hospital and about a patient. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was like from several hours ago. I wish they would have sent me the message, like texted me, hey, check your in basket. There's something I think you need to take care of because it was later in the afternoon. So I called the doctor and she was um, a hospitalist and she said, oh, I have this patient of yours that had surgery a few months ago. And um, have you been talking to the family? And I was like, well, I talked to him. I talked to the patient like a month ago, but I didn't know she was in this hospital. Yeah. Um, like, I, I don't, didn't know that. And it, I, she was very uh, vague talking with me. So Hmm. Um, apparently the patient's having some issues that may or are probably not really related to the surgery, but they wanted to talk to me. Okay, no problem. So I call in and the patient was like, Hey doctor, I'm so glad to hear from you. And then she put me on speakerphone and the, um, mom and the mother-in-law like proceeded to like yell at me for like probably 50 minutes. And when I finished, I was like, gosh, darn it. Why do I even do this? <laughs> that, that was my thought. Like, why am I <clears throat> going to be upset at me for something that I didn't even know about or was, is, you know, not even, I, I don't know. I mean, it, obviously it's a big deal, but like, let's work together and solve this problem is what my, my goal was, but they just, I don't know. And I, so I was upset at myself for letting it go on so long on the phone. Oh, um, why? Because I wanted to, you know, I, I don't think it helped anything. I mean, they just yelled at me for, so I, I don't know that it made them feel better and it made me feel worse. And I probably should have let them talk at me for 10 minutes and then been like, okay, well, how do we move on? Yeah. Um, can you give us any kind of like details without, obviously we don't want to compromise HIPAA or anything like that, but like, what, what were they like accusing you of something or were they just mad yeah. about the, the, I think they were just, um, I mean, she did fine with the surgery she had, but then she had some issues with, um, some subsequent things and it like, um, so they were blaming these on me and I'm like, really, this isn't like these, these are known issues that can happen. Mm -hmm. And, and, and then the, the mom was like, I didn't even want her to have the surgery anyway. 
Um, is the patient an adult? Yes. Yes. And so, and so I, yes, the patient's adult. So, I mean, she can totally make her own decisions. And, and I told them, you know, I didn't even know this was an issue. And then they made something about, well, you were out of, you were on vacation. This was like months ago. I took Mm -hmm. a few days off of vacation and they called in, but my nurse, you know, got the answer from one of the other surgeons. It wasn't like we ever leave people high and dry, right, 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 right. But they, I wasn't personally there. So it just was like, kind of this, I felt like it was the slaughter of me and why so awful. And that this wasn't so. uh, This is really important. This is really important. In fact, I just um, got off of a one-on-one coaching call with one of my clients where we were talking about this very thing. When people have their anger or frustration or whatever, and they project it onto us. And so often what we do is then make it mean something about us, right? right? We, we take it in and hold on to it. It's like something that doesn't even belong to us gets thrown at us and then we absorb it and keep it. And what's so amazing is developing the capacity to hold space for people and allow them to just have their feelings because they're probably scared for this person who's hospitalized. Right. And, and I'm not saying it's okay or right for people to hurl their shit at you. I'm not, I'm not saying that I agree with them, but I'm just saying that is it possible to hold space for them, which you did on the phone by letting them air their grievances and let it pass through you and not hold on to it? Is it possible to let it keep moving through you and don't like, don't latch on, don't keep it inside of you? I, yes, it definitely is. And I think that, you know, before I started coaching with you both, it's, I would have taken it a lot more like, you know, serious like no it is very serious but I would have put it all inside and this I it was kind of irking me just because I'm like this is but that's why I tried to just let them and one of my partners walked in during this and quickly left and then on Monday he said something about it like why did you just you you know let them just yell at you for all that time Yeah, because I mean, honestly, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, right? right? Like either you let them do it or you like cut them off and they're even more mad, you know, after that. So you you always have a choice, right? You have a choice to do something that will help de-escalate a situation or you have a choice that will escalate a situation. And right. for me as an as an independent observer, as you're telling this, it sounds like you just allowed them to say their piece. But then the problem is really occurring afterward where you're holding on to it. Yes, I probably am still holding to it since it's been a, you know, a week and a half. (laughs) Yeah. So, so like, how do we figure out a way for you to let them have their emotions and not make it mean anything about you? Yes. I, and I'm telling my kids all the time, Hey, this means nothing about you. <laughs> and they're right? like, stop, stop coaching. Mom. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and you know, you're a human being. So of course, as the stuff gets, we'll just say projected at you, and then it's going to come and like make a pit stop in your body. Right. And then the natural tendency is to want to like sidle up to this negativity, anger, whatever. And like, you know, we all know now that the human brain would prefer to have control. So the way it gives you control is by making things your fault. And so if it's your fault and you can blame yourself, 
then at least now you can have an explanation and control everything. And I'm not, I, you didn't even say yeah. you were, you didn't even say you were blaming yourself. So I put that in there. I apologize. Right. Um, but the, it's like a hypothetical example. Right. Um, but even if that stuff comes at you and, and it makes a pit stop inside of you, now you have this tool, the model to be like, okay, what am I making this mean? So what do you think you're making it mean? That they're mad. That I'm awful. That yeah. I'm a bad person. Yeah, of course. So then, okay, now we can interrogate that. Now, why do I think that? Is this really true? What, what was my responsibility? Um, and sometimes we find that we actually did do something wrong or we did make a mistake. And then that gives us the opportunity then to own that. And then sometimes we can interrogate that and be like, well, I can see now they're just really mad and because their loved one is in the hospital and they, they obviously don't agree with the, the choices that their loved one has made. And so now because their brains want to have control, their brains want to blame somebody. Right. Right. It just takes kind of this, um, like it's an interrogation. It's like, oh, okay, let me question all these things and now decide what I want my truth to be. And so then after looking at the broader picture, what do you want your truth to be? Well, the, the truth is they are obviously mad, but they are responsible for their own feelings and I'm responsible for mine. Right. Which we can only really get to that when we're in this like nice, calm, regulated state. But in the moment when you're getting bullshit hurled at you, of course, you're not going to be able to access that right then. Right. <laughs> um, you know, we want to go into like a defensive posture when those things happen. That's totally normal, too. So then we have several areas here where we can introduce the um, idea of having compassion for yourself, right? Like compassion for yourself in the moment for letting them, because it, in the beginning, it sounded like you judged yourself for even in, like indulging them in their 15 minutes of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I look at that and I say, well, I think that's a really smart move because people who feel heard and seen are less litigious. So I think that that's really smart to let people have their way with the words. Um, you know, we don't have to agree with them, but we can just kind of hold space for them to be, to have their emotions. And I suspect at least to some degree that you were able to provide that for them. So that's step one. Okay. Like having judgment for yourself in the moment for even letting them be on the phone for 15 minutes. Like maybe you could give yourself compassion there. Say, yeah, Yeah. you know, it's okay that I did that. And then now after the fact, like holding on to the negativity in whatever way, it's like, where could you find compassion for yourself there? Like, of course I'm holding on to this. It's like, they're blaming me for something that they think is my fault. And I, and I really, I've looked at this and I, I don't think it's my fault. And, and now it's okay. I can let this go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, if you um, look at it and honestly, and you're like, well, maybe I could do something differently. And then, and then now you're in this very powerful position of being able to go in actively to help in a different way, you know? Right. I think either way you would, you would benefit by giving yourself compassion. Definitely. This is a, a really important topic because very often we are faced with people and their emotions that are very often directed towards us, even though they don't belong to us. And another really fun <clears throat> exercise to do if you're noticing that you're holding on to somebody else's emotions is to just run their model. I love, I do this all the time, actually, is I'll just quickly say, okay, 
what model are they living in right now that their A line is say these words at this level to this person, like say, you know, X, Y, or Z, that's their action. So what would they need to be feeling to say that thing? And then what would they need to be thinking to say, to feel what they felt that drove them to say that thing? And so it's like being able to see somebody else's model. You don't even have to be right about it. You can totally make it up and it doesn't have to be right or accurate at all. But what that does is it helps you get out of your own model and understand how separate they really are and how what they are thinking is generating their feelings and their actions and their results. And what you're thinking and feeling and doing is creating your results and they're really not connected. So I think that's a really powerful um, exercise to do. Right. And then also too, if we're kind of defensive and you would prefer to be in a position of compassion or anything really, then just trying to see what somebody else's model could be just opens up space for you to then see things through their perspective and then be like, oh, okay, well, I understand why they're so pissed. Like, I get it. I'd be pissed too if this, if I was them. Mm -hmm. You know, if my daughter went and had surgery without consulting me, how dare she, you know? Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. Well, thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) I ended up having verbal diarrhea anyway, getting cold. (laughs) All righty. Let me disable talking and we can lower your hand. That was good. Um, Thank you so much to everybody for participating. That was really helpful. I think we had three really good, useful topics tonight that um, will be broadly applicable to people. Um, And so then my job is I will get the um, ideal practice questions posted somewhere. And then also I'm going to look up that Adam Grant um, quote about imposter syndrome. It's really good. All right. So I think that'll take us to six o'clock. I hope you guys have a great rest of your night and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much.